car trouble. Now's the time to talk with Jerry on the Simmons Car Care Shop Talk Show. Call in now at 719-1490. Well, if you're one of the millions who own one of them gas-drinking, piston clanking, air-polluting, smoke-belching, four-wheeled buggies from Detroit City, then pay attention. I'm about to sing your song, son. All right, welcome back to the second hour of the Simmons Car Care Show. Uh, I just got a text from Jim Mooney from Frontier Toe and said, I'm dead air on AM station, producer. I'm dead air on AM stations. Can you please just see if you can get that corrected? Welcome back. I'm Jerry Simmons, your host, along with me riding shotgun, Mr. Test's first don't guess, Brian Fuller from automotive specialist and we're talking shop we're talking about anything and everything it's open line 719-1490 520-719-1490 and you can give us a call just remember if you can't get us on 1490 am go to 104.9 fm and you can pick us up there thanks jim for giving me the heads up i'm sure that the uh, espn is working on that right now as we speak you know, we were talking about um, auto well, repairs and what's been done. To... Yeah, let's go to thermostats. I wanted to hit that again. You know, it is one of the most overworked things in your engine because it's constantly opening and closing the entire time that motor's running. Now, I've I've had vehicles come in with a check engine light on where it says, Coolant temperature below threshold. So what does that mean? Well, if it's a 195-degree thermostat, it means that that thermostat isn't allowing that engine to get up to operating temperature. Well, who cares? If it runs cooler, it's better, right? No, it's not. Because there's a reason that they want a 195 or a 198 degree thermostat in that vehicle because the computer reads the the temperature of the engine, of course. And to be in optimum fuel control, I've talked about this many times, it needs to get up to the proper temperature. Trust me on this one. It's it it is so important that that happens. Thermostats can stick open and in the cooler months, the engine's going to run cooler. It won't get to operating temperature. I mean, years ago, on my diesel, I was driving down the road going to the radio show, and I'm going, this heater of mine, it's not putting out much heat, you know, and I'm not happy. Come to find out, thermostats were stuck open. So I put a... This vehicle, the diesel, has two thermostats in it. I put in two new thermostats. Lo and behold, the heater works better. Yay. Well, I monitor my fuel mileage, too. 
constantly. And, you know, I got a little over 20 more miles to a tank of fuel than I did previously. And it was because the vehicle was in fuel control. So, you know, heads up. You know, if you start making excuses for your car, get it in, get it checked out, get a computer on it, have somebody that's knowledgeable enough to know and look at all the PID data. That's all the different little sensors that are reporting back to the computer. You know, talking about fuel control, <laughs> we'll go pick on my Corvette. It was due for emissions. And sadly... It hadn't been driven much, probably not 200 miles in the last year. So I'm sure the fuel was a little nasty in the tank. And I'm driving to the shop on Friday, and and I'm going, well, it runs all right. Boom, check engine light comes on. I said, are you kidding me? This vehicle has never had a check engine light pop on. So I get here to the shop, plug the scanner into it, pull up a code for oxygen sensor slow response bank 2 sensor 1 and i'm going really <laughs> so rather than just go buy a new oxygen sensor and pop it in there which most people do i mean there's way too many oxygen sensors replaced way too many that aren't needed these oxygen sensors they do last a long time, believe it or not. Well, in my case, I was looking at the data, and this sensor was working great. It was sitting there going from 0 0.20 to 0 0.8, back and forth, back and forth, just like it's supposed to, rich, lean, rich, lean, rich, lean, rich, lean. I says, so I don't see slow response on this sensor. So I go a little deeper, and I look into the fuel trims, the short-term and long-term fuel trim to see if this thing's in fuel control. And I'm going, well, well now wait a minute. Long-term fuel trim's around plus two, plus three. That's fine. I can live with that. If it was up around plus 25, I would have a lean condition, which could cause slow response on an oxygen sensor. But it wasn't up at plus 20, plus 25, you know, trying to add fuel. So I'm going, hmm, I don't think I need an oxygen sensor. I think I've got a vehicle that hasn't been driven enough, and the fuel's probably a little nasty in the tank. So I added some fuel system cleaner to the thing and took it out and drove it. Now, unfortunately, I had to clear that code because I had to go through emissions. Well, when I clear the code, it's not going to go through emissions until the car's driven, you have to complete a drive cycle because you have monitors in there, catalyst, misfire, oxygen sensor, oxygen sensor heater, misfire, EVAP monitors, fuel system monitors. You have to drive it enough to get those monitors to complete because if you don't, it'll say systems checks incomplete and you won't pass emissions. So luckily enough, yesterday morning, it was cool enough. That's another thing, because temperature has a lot to do with running this drive cycle, because if it's over 100 degrees intake air temperature, 
which in the summer it is a lot of the time. I mean, 5 o'clock in the morning, your intake air temperature under the hood can be over 100 degrees. And the monitor will not complete. But luckily for me, it was cool out. I took the vehicle out, and I drove it up to Tangerine and down and around and back, came here to the shop, rechecked the monitors, and I says, yay, I'm happy. All of the monitors ran and passed except for two. Now, on 2,000 and older vehicles, you can have all the monitors ran except for two and go through emissions and pass. On 2,000 and newer vehicles, you have to have all the monitors ran and passed except for one. And then you can go through emissions and pass. But like I said, I had all monitors ran and passed except for two. Yay, go through emissions, all is good. Check engine light never did come back. That car just needed to be driven and get some good gas in it. So heads up on these things. You know, like I always say, don't just go and clear that check engine light and expect to go through emissions because you're not. And the problem that you had is not going to mysteriously go away or be lucky like I was. So heads up on that with fuel control. Remember, you can call in at 719-1490. That's 719-1490. Give us a call. We'll answer your questions on your vehicles. Yeah, area code 520-719-1490. I even try calling in to do this show, and I'll forget that 520, and it says, I'm sorry, your your call cannot be completed. Recheck the number. I guess we're tired of hearing that. Whatever happened to just dialing the regular numbers? Instead of putting the area code in there, but that's yeah, just that's one happening. Of the changes we have to. That's happening more and more now. Yeah. I found out, you know, just this week that you're going to have to dial that 520. Oh yeah, well that's the reason I'm putting 520 out in front of these numbers now, so that when people try to call in. By the way, I have two more tickets. Hey producer, how many tickets do I have left over from the first hour? Hello. All right, so I got three tickets. Uh, three tickets to the race tonight. Um, I apologize for the AM station being quiet on the first hour. Hopefully we've got that back up. And um, But I have three tickets to the Tucson Speedway today. Uh, gates open at 5. Racing starts at 6.30. They've got a good program lineup. And I have two ticket, uh, three tickets for callers one, two, and three of the second hours. The five two zero seven one nine fourteen ninety five two zero seven one nine fourteen ninety. It is an open line Saturday. If you want to talk to a good technician uh, on a particular car, uh, if we can explain it so that you can fix it, but I'll tell you one thing about these cars. The information that we can give you, unless you have about a half a million dollars worth of analyzed equipment at your house, uh, you may want to take it in and have it uh, tested uh, and find out at least what you're dealing with before you dive into it, because this thing can get real expensive if you decide, well, I used to do it all the time. Well, I know mechanics that used to do it all the time, too, that have learned that what you used to do and the changes in the cars 
without that training, con- constant training that technicians have to go through, it's a nightmare when you grow you raise you can't even find half the stuff in an engine now without pulling the top off of it and half the other stuff. So if if this is not your career field to work inside of a late model vehicle, uh you know, get get a second opinion from a good shop. You can go to Parker Automotive at three two three nineteen sixty. They're located fifty one oh one East Speedway. Good shop over there. You can go to Simmons at Auto, Ajo and Country Club. You can go to uh, Mr. Kiss First Don't Guess at uh, over on Einer Road. But the things you got to do is get that professional opinion on these cars because you go to digging through those things in order to find out what works and what don't work. We still have to go in behind you and find out where the problem lies. Brian did a beautiful job of explaining just something as simple as an O2 sensor. And yeah, the I mean, there's 21 reasons. Sensor, oh, 21 reasons an oxygen sensor code sets. 21. And only one yep. is replace so the sensor. Like I said, that sensor right. works on a one volt scale. And it generally sweeps from 020 to 080, back and forth, back and forth, so just as fast as it possibly can, because it's going rich lean, rich lean, rich lean, rich lean. It's monitoring that exhaust that comes right out of the exhaust manifold. It's before the catalytic converter. That's the upstream sensor. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of the things that cause lean problems, that's when near long-term fuel trims up around 25 plus 25, it's adding fuel. Unmetered air going into the motor. What do I mean by that? A vacuum leak. Good Lord. These vehicles have more vacuum leaks today than I've ever seen in my life. And why? Plastic. Plastic intake manifolds. Bolted onto aluminum cylinder heads. Hey, they expand and contract at different rates. The bolts that hold that thing on the motor are at extremely low temperature. The rubber gaskets that are in between it, after time, they get super hard, and they're not sealing like they should. And you've got intake manifold gaskets leaking. You could have, you know, from the air cleaner to the engine, there's that great big rubber hose. You could have a crack or a split in that hose. That's unmetered air going into the engine. You could have a brake booster that has the rubber diaphragm inside of it is broken. That's a vacuum leak. There's unmetered air going into your engine. A lot of the Fords, you see the positive crankcase PCV valve. It has a rubber hose on the end of it, and it attaches to the intake manifold. After time, that little bit of oil vapor that goes through that rubber hose deteriorates the rubber hose, and they'll have a considerable size hole in that rubber hose. Again, unmetered air or a vacuum leak on your motor. That doesn't mean go buy a new oxygen sensor. <laughs> it means test first, don't guess. I can't say that Absolutely. enough. Absolutely. That's why we have well, scanners, not code readers. 
You know, I need data. Right. I can't fix your vehicle if I don't have enough information. It's just not going to happen, especially with the complexity of these new vehicles that we have today. I mean, oh, my God, it's just something else. Another thing that will cause a problem with fuel control is a problem with your EVAP system. We get a lot of this. You could have a purge valve sticking open. It could cause uh, a rich condition, and the vehicle's going to try and make it go lean. But again, you'll have a code for, you know, fuel systems lean or fuel systems rich. Again, this doesn't mean go buy an oxygen sensor. It means find out why. What's failed? In these EVAP codes, it's not always go buy a new gas cap. There's a lot of other things that go along with it. You've got a purge valve. You've got a vent valve. You've got a charcoal canister. You've got the fuel vapor lines that run from the engine all the way back to the top of the gas tank. You've got a fuel tank pressure sensor on the top of the, of the uh, fuel tank that monitors the pressure inside the tank so it knows if the EVAP system is sealed or not. So when it comes to EVAP problems, uh, it's not for the backyard guy because it's very complicated. You about have to have a smoke machine to fill the system full of smoke to try and find the leak wherever it is. Small leak detected yeah. just makes your hair hurt, let me tell you. So, you know, heads up on these EVAP problems. They're very complicated. Um, one other thing, if you do have an EVAP problem, do us a favor. When you bring the car to the shop, try and have around a half a tank of gas in it. Not full, not empty, around a half a tank of gas. Because the tests that we run, the fuel level has to be between 35 and 85%. So over a quarter, less than three quarters. So around a half is perfect. Because we have the ability to do service bay tests with the scanner where we can run an EVAP system test right here in the shop and monitor what's going on with all this data. So good idea you bring your car to the shop, try and have around a half a tank. As far as that goes, try and have around a half a tank whatever you bring the car to the shop because we may have to test drive it. I get a lot of cases where vehicle comes to the shop, it's empty, the low fuel warning light's on, <laughs> And now I get to go put some gas in it because I've got to drive it. Because you've got a runnability right. problem where I have to go out and experience what's going on with the vehicle and, and got to have gas. So do us a favor. Try and have around a half a tank of fuel when you bring your car in. Okay. If you're speaking of fuel, Brian, how about running E85 in a vehicle that's not designed to run E85? Well, what kind if of you problems want problems are you looking with, at on that? Because it, it, it's cheaper, but it, it can sure get more expensive real quick. Well, the alcohol content can cause fuel control problems. Again, it can run lean. And on your older cars, it can damage, you know, some of your O-rings, say, around the injectors or wherever else you may have some in the fuel system, in the fuel lines, mm -hmm. it can take them out. But more so, yeah, well, it's cheaper. 
well, your vehicle won't perform as well, it won't get as good as gas mileage, and it'll probably run lean. You know, you get enough of this alcohol in there. Some of these vehicles, they actually have a data PID for alcohol content and fuel, and it figures it out. And you get too much alcohol content in the fuel, and you will have a problem. I've had vehicles come in here before with lean codes. You know, again, it doesn't mean go buy an oxygen sensor to figure out why. Well, they had too much alcohol in their fuel, and it's not designed to burn that. The computer program won't put up with it. So, you know, heads up. Well, uh, you know, when people first put the E85 in, normally they're down to a quarter of a tank, you know, on most cases, down around a quarter of a tank, and so they'll put the E85 in it. Well, that changes the ratio of alcohol to gasoline because you still got a bunch of gasoline, probably anywhere from, depending on what you drive, uh, seven to ten gallons of gas inside this vehicle, depending on what size tank you have, of course. And so when you first put it in, you really don't notice a, a big issue with it until it gets down to most of it is alcohol. We have actually pulled supply lines out on cars, run it in a container, and actually see how much alcohol is in the fuel. And that's that's normally where the problem is. Once you replace all of that, get it back to regular gas, the way it was designed to run, then there's no problem. But So if you put that stuff in, E85 now, if you put the E85 in and you realize, oh, wait a minute, I remember hearing something bad about this, then get it in and get that stuff changed out. You know, I, you know, it's it's not as bad as pouring gasoline in a diesel at first, but it it can do damage to it, and you can have a lot of little stuff that keeps popping up, and it's just not worth the it's just not worth the expense. So if you got a car that's run dual fuel E85 or gasoline, then fine, you can run the E85 in it. Uh, but you know, don't expect the same fuel economy. You know, the numbers are out somewhere around 17 percent difference in the fuel economy. Uh, it's actually worse because it's alcohol content and it burns up quicker. So that's the the simple version of it. Now, uh, I want to get back to the motor vac a little bit. The carbon problems that we're having on these cars. If you have a a engine that has spark plugs, runs on gasoline, it will have carbon buildup. It's just part, it's the nature of the beast. There is no exceptions to it. I don't care what kind of monitoring system you have on the vehicle. You will have carbon buildup on the back of the valves and the top of the pistons. That's just part of it. Now, keep in mind that that's not the only two places that get buildup and residue. Residue comes from the tanks down the lines. It sets in the, the lines that feeds the fuel injector injectors and then it goes through the fuel injectors and then into the cylinders well you have that debris laying in there that's another reason to run a gasoline treatment in the tank to postpone the aggravation of the heavy buildup of carbon prematurely it doesn't mean you're not going to have the carbon that's no such thing so get over that you will have the carbon 
It's a matter of how you actually control the carbon in it that saves you from the burnt valves, the cylinder heads pulled off, and have all the valves done. If you're under 135, 40,000 miles on the engine, you stand a chance of having the valves done, putting it back on, and they actually run. And I say under, I mean around 80, 90,000 miles. Because the carbon is just, it, some of it is so hard, you can't even take it out with a motor vac. That's the reason we have to do some, some cars twice, two times we have to run a motor vac through it and just let it work, let it work and let it clean naturally while the engine's running. And, but you've got to get the garbage out of the tank. So it, that is one of the reasons, even with the premium, the, uh, uh, the premium fuel, not not high test fuel. What am I looking for here, Brian? The where it's got all the additives in. It'll come to me in a minute. My cup of coffee must be top tier. But um, top tier fuel. Thank you, Brian. Appreciate that. You know, it's a, that's really a hard thing to remember when you talk about it all the time. Uh, but anyway, it, that's the reason your manufacturers prefer the top tier fuel in it. That's the reason we've got top-tier fuel in the U.S. is because the manufacturers overseas started raising a cane about the fact that our fuel wasn't clean enough to run their cars that's coming, being shipped in for sale in the U.S. Okay, so they started getting that. Every manufacturer that I know recommends you use the top-tier fuel. And they say, well, and then you'll read an article that says, well, the fuel that they set the specifications on that is controlled by the federal government. If it's a low-grade fuel, if it's not a top-tier fuel, that don't mean it won't run. I didn't say it wouldn't run. I said, are you going to have problems with it? Because if you didn't, why would the manufacturer say add a can of gasoline treatment at every oil service? And they even give you the part number of their product, of course. But you can go to Merle's and you can get you can get a quality. You go to BG Chemicals, you get a quality gas fuel treatment, and that's a, a BG still ranked number one. Believe it or not, STP fuel treatment ranked number three as far as being good, and it's inexpensive. So there's really no reason for you to not use the fuel treatment to try to save yourself some aggravation and some major expenses if you ignore it. Give the engine a chance to perform the way it was designed. If carbon was good for an engine, they would put it in before it left the manufacturer. So you'd have automatic carbon in there if that stuff is so great. Well, they didn't, and there's a reason. So just uh, that is on you. That's something that you need to do. And if you have any questions, you can call 719-1490, area code 520, and we'll be happy to take on any questions you have about oils, um, antifreeze, uh, any of that. Anything that has to do with the automobile from bumper to bumper, except I don't do uh, body work, we leave that up to Spectre Minor Road Auto Collision. If they can do the body work, we'll take care of the rest of the stuff. Uh, air conditioning. A lot of people are having air conditioning problems. What are you seeing with air conditioning right now, Brian? Boy, a, <clears throat> a bunch of things. I mean, we've had vehicles come in that needed complete systems replaced. Uh, generally, you know, if the compressor fails, it sends what we call shrapnel throughout the inside of the system. 
and it gets into the condenser because it comes out the discharge line and into the condenser, and these new style condensers are impossible to flush. You cannot do it. The little holes that are inside of that thing where the freon and oil goes through, about the size of a pencil lead or smaller. So they can't be flushed. So you end up replacing a compressor, a condenser, a receiver dryer. And if you don't flush out the lines in the evaporator, you're going to have a problem and more likely we'll just have another failure. I've seen a lot of people try and just put a compressor on after a compressor failure and say, all I need is evac and recharge. And I said, sorry, I don't think that's going to work. Probably take out your new compressor. Compressors aren't cheap. Mm-hmm. You know, so I've seen a lot of that. I've um, seen a lot of compressor clutch failures um, where, you know, then you can't. In the old days, you used to be able to buy a compressor clutch assembly and bearing the field coil, pop it on, good to go. You know, but nowadays you there's limited supply of those, and you end up replacing the whole compressor. And uh, a lot of other things I see is, is you know, airflow out the vents. Had a car in here this week that uh, customer's concern was, well, I've got very little airflow out the vents to none. But the air did feel cool, and in their case, the AC was, compressor was working. It was getting cold. The receiver dryer was pretty cold to the touch, but she had no airflow. But what happened is, is the cabin air filter was completely plugged to the po- and fallen apart to the point where everything was falling to the bottom of the evaporator housing, which plugged the evaporator drain up. You know that water that leaks out on the right-hand side of your vehicle when you're sitting with the air conditioning on and it's real humid out? That. That moisture off of the AC evaporator has to be able to escape from the evaporator housing. Otherwise, that moisture, that water, it'll fill the evaporator housing up to the point where the water will get back into where the blower resistor is, and it'll take it out. In this case, the HVAC blower resistor, the thing that regulates the voltage to the blower and makes it work, was fried because it was sitting in water. So we needed a new HVAC blower resistor, and we needed to open up the drain for the evaporator to get rid of all that moisture, get it out of there. So right. there's, you know, it's not always Freon. It's and, not always a compressor. And a cabin air. And a cabin air filter. Yes, absolutely. It, cabin, it cabin, cabin air filter. I've seen a I've seen an article on cabin air filter. Of course, I'm always looking and researching. But I've seen a cabin air filter, and they said, well, you need to change it every two years. Excuse me. Welcome to Tucson, Arizona. You need to change it at least once a year, and then you're going to be surprised at what you see when you pull it out. The only way you're not going to see a dirty cabin air filter is if you got that son of a gun parked in your garage with the door shut and you don't drive it but about 10 miles a year, then you're going to have additional other type of problems, like the fuel going bad while it's sitting there. So uh, the cabin air filter, if you haven't changed that son of a gun in a year and a half, you say, well, it's just doing fine. You want to bet? 
You know, we used to have a cabin air filter that we had sitting over for show and tell in a bag. The reason we had it in a bag is because it was, you could look at it and you say, where'd they get all of that stuff? I mean, everything from bird feathers to just everything you can think of is in a cabin air filter. The cabin air filter would not, you could pour water on the top of that thing. And if you got lucky, it would seep through the debris on the outside. That is not what you're supposed to have because you're creating a resistance to that little motor in there, and therefore you have the problem like Brian is talking about. So cabin air yeah, filters, I mean it, you can get them at Mercury. It can take yeah. out the uh, blower motor as well, you know, because the mm-hmm. airflow that goes through there also keeps that blower motor cool. And if you restrict the airflow wow. enough, that motor's going to continue to work until it gets hot enough that it's going to burn it up. And usually when those motors get hot enough, they take out the blower resistor as well. And some of these blower resistors, they're not cheap. This one that we had this week, it was less than $100. But I've seen some blower resistors, which with this dual-zone automatic climate control nonsense they got in these new vehicles, they they can be a few hundred dollars. A cabin air filter is 15 25 bucks, you know? Well, depending on if they're for diesels or anything else, they they vary. They start around fifteen and go up. The um, and you're right, but you can go to Merrill's Auto and you get a cabin air filter to fit your vehicle, and you can pay twenty three. Everything here recently has gone up to the part to the point where I don't recognize the prices anymore when I go in to buy something. So they used to be that I would figure somewhere around the mid twenties on a good cabin air filter, but, uh, you know, I use Wix, W-I-X, because I like the way the filter looks. I like the size of it. I like the way it's designed, and that works for me. But you can run anything. Anything is better than a plug one. I don't care what you run. You know, don't run a paper towel, but anything is better than a plugged inside air filter. It keeps the air clean, and in Arizona, with the rain, uh, with the heavy winds, and we do have some serious heavy winds around here, and then if you're fortunate enough to go to Phoenix and run through a haboob, uh, then every filter you have on that vehicle needs to be changed. Do not forget your fuel, your gas filters. Do not forget your air intake filters, especially because a lot of stuff is turbocharged. That's like driving down a road with a, a shop vac hooked to your car. It'll suck it right in, right up through. They plug and then they start to bypass. You do not want that garbage. Sand uh, it is like glass. It's like glass when it gets on the inside to a turbocharger. You do not want to visit that turbocharger and have have it go out have to have it replaced. The other thing on the turbocharger is make sure you use the viscosity of oil that was put in that motor recommended by the manufacturer. You can use different brands of oil, but it needs to have the SAE ratings on it, and it needs to have... Uh, uh, it, it needs to be the same viscosity. People say, well, you know, in the summertime, I can use a heavier. Why? The oil is designed to handle the heat. It's a lot better than what it used to be. The main thing on the oil change is it has to be done on a regular basis because the oil is hammered in these engines. 
it it beats the life out of them, and it uses the additives up. And so you don't have that cleaning agent that's sitting in there working for you. So make sure you keep your oil changed, oil service in these cars, and that'll help you along the way. And it also will give you better fuel economy because the lubrication factor in it and the cleaning agent in it actually help the engine run better. So that's my little little tech tip on that. Uh, if you're buying a car or you're looking for a car, a lot of people now went through the gas modules. They're going, okay, well, I'll go out and spend $30,000 for a gas module. It can save me some fuel. Uh, and then when the prices go down on it, your behind end will be hurting because you, you got the wrong vehicle. You bought it only because of the fuel economy and not because of ride comfort. And you'll be changing it out again. So if you're looking for an uh, automobile, you can go to lensautobrokerage.com, lensautobrokerage.com, and you can find, uh, navigate the website to have everything listed, and you can find out if you want to go down and kick a tire, fine. But lensautobrokerage.com. You also, if you're looking for an RV, since it is summertime, a lot of people headed out on vacation, DesertRV.com. DesertRV.com. They actually specialize in toy haulers. That's most of the stuff I see there. But they have a lot of used units on the lot. So go to these two websites if you're looking for a car or an RV to pull. Um, you can hit it there. Uh, Parker Automotive. Absolutely a good shop, 5101 East Speedway, 323-1960. mentioned it before. Of course, you've got Brian's Place over on the west side, Automotive Specialist, az.com, excellent website. And then you've got Simmons on the south side. So you've got three different locations where you don't have to drive all over town that can handle the, the needs. And if we get in trouble, we can call Brian. It's kind of like a network we have set up. So that uh, you know it 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 works. And don't forget five two zero seven one nine fourteen ninety for I have three tickets left for Tucson Speedway. Callers one two three get those three tickets. They're family four packs. You can get four people in on one ticket. So I have three of those son of a guns left. Five two zero seven one nine fourteen ninety. All right, we got a caller in line. Who, who we got? We got uh, George. Hello. To, you got George on the line. He wants to talk about top tier fuel. Okay, let's bring George on. George, good morning. Welcome to ESPN Simmons Car Care Show. Good morning, Jerry and Brian. How are you? Morning. Doing well. Morning. Thank you. Hey, uh, I, I I tried to get in last week, and it was too late. But you guys were talking about top tier fuel then, and spoke about it a little bit today. Just wanted to relate a story. I had uh, investigated myself. Uh, one particular station in town used to always have a sticker on the pump that said, this is top-tier fuel. And one day I noticed that mm -hmm. sticker was no longer there. So I called to inquire about that. And what happened was that uh, they were no longer able to get the additive that was recognized to be uh, qualified to make a fuel top tier. They found something else, but it, it wasn't on the approved list, so they had to take their stickers off the pump. 
but they reassured me that they try to get it that additive that they need when they can, but they can't always get it. So that's the reason why they had to take the sticker off the pump. Okay. What station was this, George? Do you remember? I, I didn't want to mention it unless you uh, <laughs> asked. It was the quick trip. I want you to – I want you to – this is public information. This is stuff that people should know. Uh, okay. You know, especially if they had a top-tier station and now they're not a top-tier station because most people don't read the stickers on the pumps anyway. Mm-hmm. So if you have that information, you can put it out. It's not a detriment to them. They'll they'll get it put back, but we need, need to let the public know right. that, yeah, right now they have a little issue. Right. It's, it's the quick trip uh, stations. Quick trip? Yes. Well, that's and what they tried to explain to me, what they what they explained to me, and I called Quick Trip the corporation. I didn't call one of the gas one of the mm-hmm. stations in town. I called their corporate number. Right. And what they were trying to explain to me was that they're adding all the additives that they normally do, but they could not get a one of the additives to be uh, the one that <clears throat> would give them authorization to put the sticker on the pump. So what they're saying was it still has all the all the additives that it should have. It just doesn't have mm-hmm. the one that is recognized to make fuel top tier. So uh, and they can't okay. always get it. That was their other issue. Sometimes they can get it, sometimes they can't. So since it wasn't one hundred percent consistent, they had to take the sticker off the pump. And I was in well, see, the station I- just to I appreciate that, the information from QT, because I buy 99% of my fuel at QT, and I, but I also use a fuel additive just in case because I know there's a supply line and a supply and demand that uh, they're having issues with because of COVID. And so not what we used to get and what we get now could be two different things, and I prefer to have my engines clean even if I have to buy it off a shelf of Merle's and pour it in there. So thank you. That is a good one. Sure. Thank you very much. Right. You're you're welcome. And it makes me think, though, what are the other stations doing? You know, Quick Trip obviously was upfront about it and honest and did the right thing. Yep. But there could be other stations that yep. have that same well, issue and they just chose not to say anything about it. I wonder if Co- I wonder if Costco has that problem now because Costco moves a lot of gas over there and yep. they are also classified as a top tier supplier. So, you right. know, did they take the top tier originally and now they're just pumping gas and people thinking they're getting top tier and they're not? I have yep. no idea. But that might yeah. be worth Maybe a phone call a- also. Yeah. I might give them a call, see what they say. Well, thank so you so it. much for the call, George. Yeah. We appreciate the information, buddy. All right. Bye bye. Have a good weekend. You guys have a good weekend. You too. Uh, what do you think, Brian? I really found that odd that they would do that. Uh, I always thought Quick Trip was uh, top tier fuel. They are. They were. But he just explained it very, very good. 
I, you know, they have a certain amount. The federal government, uh, like on the older fuels where they had all the regulations on it, and they said, okay, you can, you have enough additives, according to the federal government, you have enough additives to go ahead and service these cars. Well, the original time that that was, was 1957, 60, and stuff like that on those older engines. And so I'm glad they come in with the top tier because they added a lot more stuff because now we've got injectors to protect. We've got the valves to protect as much as we possibly can. And we got the injectors. So you have to have the fuel moving through, through the engine freely in order to atomize when it hits the cylinders so that the darn thing will run and fire up and run smooth. Now, for the ones I'd be out there, if you start your – this is how I caught my first issue – with bad fuel injectors, partially plugged fuel injectors, was when I started it up in the morning, you know, it's fuel injection. You don't have to pump the accelerator. Most people are pumping. I don't know what for. It doesn't do anything. But just hit the key. It's supposed to fire up. Well, it would fire up and it run rough for just a second maybe. or And that's what put me on notice. And the first time it happened, I thought, well, it's just cold weather. And then I remembered what I've been saying. Anytime you start to make excuses for your vehicle, get a second opinion. Well, I did my own second opinion, and uh, I, I wound up having the uh, fuel delivery system. I put a motor back on it. It cleared everything. It cleaned off the injectors to keep them from coking over. That's when you got so much garbage hanging on the bottom of the injector pentals that when you shut it off, the temperature in there actually bakes on that junk that's at the bottom. Well, it's normally a debris that is moved by temperature. So when it cools down, it actually rolls down to the point on the injector, and it actually coats the bottom of the injector. When you first fire it up, you have to put enough pressure behind that, and you get the engine fired up. And it's running rough because the amount of fuel that's going in, when you've got an injector that dirty, you have some soft carbon on top of the piston. It goes into the cylinder. The cylinder has to soak up this fuel that you're pouring in there on the soft carbons, and what's left is what actually fires the car. So when you fire it up, and then it finally breaks that little coat off the bottom of the injector. Now you got fuel going to it, but it's going into soft carbon sitting on top of the piston. It's still going to run a little bit rough because the soft carbon is robbing the gas that you need to make this engine run like it's supposed to. So once you get that thing soaked in, fired off, it runs, it runs fine. But it's still got an issue, and you need do not make excuses for this engine. It needs to go in. You need to have a professional like uh, Brian Fuller from uh, Automotive Specialists or the Parker, Parker Automotive, or Simmons. Somebody needs to give you a second opinion on this. I will tell you from doing this, because everything I own has been a test vehicle for 46 years, every vehicle that I have. I do stuff to mine that I don't recommend to you until I know that it works. And so this this dirty fuel, uh, the fuel going through. Now, whether or not that one item that QT can't get to make sure that they are certified 
as a top tier fuel. And I got to take my hat off to them because they're paying attention. They're paying attention. I don't know what that product is that they're missing out of that additive. So I can't, I can't answer that one. But you need to keep your fuel delivery system clean. It needs to be clean. What's a motor vac recommendation now on the, uh, these, all this fancy stuff out there like the Echo Boost? You remember? Brian? As far as the fuel system cleaning on your GDIs? Yeah. I'd at least do them annually at the worst. Yeah. You know, and I'd be running fuel system cleaner in these GDIs every three to 5,000 miles to keep yeah, it no clean. Kidding. About every third or fourth gas tank, yeah. We did a test on a 2017 EcoBoost twin turbo, my wife's. We took it to the shop. We had the manufacturer of some new fancy equipment come in, and we did everything to it. We used a camera before and after. And at 2,900 miles, she had visible carbon in that engine at 2,900 miles running nothing but top-tier fuel. So top-tier fuel helps, but it's not the solution. Like I said earlier, probably last hour now, if you have a gas burner that has spark plugs in it, that you're going to have soft carbons. I don't care what motor you're running, you're going to have carbon buildup in that engine, and it needs to be attended to. Once every once every year is basically around 12,000 miles. Carbon starts building in the engine, used to around 7,500 miles. Now we're finding out if there's carbon in a GDI at 2,900 miles, and I've seen it on the camera. I've seen it on the monitor. We did the flush, the carbon uh, cleaning, and then we go back in, and we have side-by-side screens, and where it used to be carbon, there's no carbon sitting there now. So I know this stuff happens prior to 75. Maybe 7,500 miles is when it gets to the point it's going to start doing damage to your car. I don't know that. It depends on your driving habits. If you, like my dad used to say, if you take it out on the freeway and blow it out. If you go to Phoenix and you sit there and run that thing for an hour and a half to get to Phoenix at freeway speed, 75 mile an hour in closed loop, fuel trims there, everything is running like it's supposed to. You should be pretty safe. That doesn't mean you're not going to have carbon building up in that point, just not to the extent because it it's flowing through and it's moving it on. So, you know, but if you drive it around putt-putt to a grocery store, it's three miles from your house, and you go out, you go back home, you go back out, you go back home, I'll guarantee you that around 7,500 miles, you're going to have a bunch of stuff built up in there, especially if you have the little turbos on them. If you have, if you're just driving it, you're going to have contaminated uh, contamination inside the fuel delivery system. That's the reason I use fuel cleaners in my Honda every third tank, and it only holds like 16 gallons. Every third tank, I put a can of fuel conditioner in there, and then I drive it. My little Honda runs like a sewing machine. It's got 197,000 miles on it. So it just depends on how long you want to keep them, whether or not you can remember to put the fuel conditioner in it, 
But remember, if you buy a can of fuel conditioner, the best way to do it is to pour the conditioner in first, then fill the tank, top it off. And don't overdo it with a fuel treatment because you're, all you're doing is wasting money then. Because everything is, is figured out that if you run a can per 25 gallons and you run it down a half a tank, you still have 12 gallons in there that has this fuel conditioner in it. So don't pour the full can back in there. Only pour half can in it to treat the rest of it. So that's, that's my hillbilly math for you. And uh, But it still has to be done, or you'll pay the price. But the cabin air filter that Brian hit on a while ago, oh, my gosh. People, 12, 12 months, just change a cabin air filter. 12 months, unless you don't drive the car. But at least pull it out and look. And cabin air filters is so critical because it blocks the air, which is also used as a coolant. It also plugs up, and it a little uh, motor in there, that little electric motor, it's it's working its butt off to try to get air pumped through the vents at the speed it's supposed to. So cabin air filters, they're inexpensive. They're a cheap maintenance item that actually works good for your air conditioning system, and it keeps your air fresh inside, too. Oh, absolutely. But, you know, so, another thing that happens, if you let that cabin air filter get so plugged that, you know, the stuff's falling through it, you're, that mm-hmm. blower motor's going to blow it all up against the evaporator core, your air conditioning evaporator. And it'll. I, I've had vehicles right. come in here with no airflow. Well, it wasn't due to the cabin air filter. It was due to them not changing the cabin air filter often enough, and it plugged the surface, blocked it, the surface of the evaporator core. Sure. We got a problem, you know, like a little sweater on the evaporator yeah. core. The air's not going to flow through it because the air goes through the evaporator core right. before it goes through the heater core. So, I mean, then you've got a big uh, deal because all of these evaporator cores, if you need to replace it, guess what? That whole dash is coming out of the car, every bit of it. That's an all-day venture. So, that's you know, right. again, that's that right. filter's pretty you cheap. You better know what you're doing before you start pulling it out. And one, let's see. Okay. Another thing to mention, too, is, is what, Frontier what's towing, all the click? 748-1100. Go ahead. Another thing to think about is, is when you turn your car on first thing of the day, What's all that clicking going on inside your dash? You hear the click, 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 click. And you're going, well, what is that? Go ahead. Well, most of these door, temperature doors, blend doors, recirculation doors, inside your dash, they used to be run by a cable where you just slid the lever over. Remember back in the 70s? Only us old guys know that. But... uh the new cars, they're all electronically controlled <laughs> by little electric motors that move the door. So if you got clicking going on inside your dash, yeah, it's irritating. But another thing can happen is, is your airflow won't be coming out where you want it to. Or the temperature may not. You know, it may be warm on the driver's side and cool on the passenger side. So exactly. if you got clicking going on, some of those actuators you can get changed without pulling the whole dash out. Others, the dash comes out. 
just to replace this thing. And these things run 50 to over $100 a piece. But the labor can yeah. be quite And the quite labor on expensive. something like that. Absolutely. you got a 6 to 10 hour job. Uh, Frontier Towing, for all your towing needs, if it needs to be moved on a flatbed or if it needs to be, if you've got an 18-wheeler that needs to be picked up, Front wheel, uh, Frontier Towing has about 31, 32 units that they can run. They can tow, they can move just about anything from storage rooms to uh, animals at the zoo. <laughs> and he's got motorcycle trailers, a special trailer that's built for picking up motorcycles. Where you, it, It's actually a motorcycle trailer that's got these little hydraulic things on it. It attaches to the inside, and so he can move it without scarring or scratching or anything. Frontier Towing, 7.1100 for all of your towing needs. If it needs to be towed, call them and see if they can handle that particular application. Jim is pretty good at this stuff. <laughs> he, he, he moves stuff that I wouldn't even attempt to move because I don't have that knowledge. That's not my expertise. But Thanks, Jim, for calling me about uh, AM station being off. And I want to thank um, I want to I, I want to thank George for calling in on the top tier fuel and letting us know that little piece of information does two things for QT. One, it tells me a lot about QT operation, and so that was good. You know, he was a little nervous about it. I appreciate that, but this is good information considering I buy my fuel from top tier uh, from QT on most of the stuff because it's close to the house. And with that said, uh, we're just about out of time. How much time we got, producer? What? Got a minute and a half. All right. So again, for those of you who are wondering where Automotive Specialist is, we're at 3611 West Ina Road. That's at Ina and Meredith, one stoplight east of Ina and Thornydale. We're in the Michaels Bookman's Plaza right behind Checker O'Reilly Auto Parts. Again, it's 3611 West Ina. Our phone number is 572-1734. That's 572-1734. And yes, you may have to dial 520 before that. You can also go to our website, which is Automotive specialistsav.com Just a little noteworthy thing here on tires. 230 seconds used to be the old recommended of depth on the tread. Uh, They're saying you need to go to a 432 in wet weather. That seems to be the one that seems to move the water out on the tires. Alright, we're out of time for this Saturday. I want to thank everybody for joining us. Hope you picked up something. Brian, thank you, sir. Until next week, drive safe, be careful with the weather, and we'll talk to you next Saturday. Bye-bye.